Hi, everybody. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. Hi everybody, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air.
This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show, everybody. We are on the air. <laughs> These times, I, I think we're on the air. Uh, uh, we're broadcasting live out of Chicago, and uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Come on. Okay. As always, it's a great day in the city of Chicago, and I always, I always hope that it's wherever you are in the world and that you're safe, keeping yourself safe, and it's, it's a safe place where you are in the world. And welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're on until 6. We're going to go until 7.30. And we don't know what the hell we're going to be talking about, folks. I don't have a clue. I usually have something in front of me telling me what the hell to talk about, sometimes what to say. I'm just as bad as Donald Trump. I need a teleprompter. What can I tell you? But I don't have one, and I never had one. But uh, we're gonna just wing it today. <laughs> so if we screw up, you 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 uh, know what's know why? Because I have nothing in front of me. My I'm all confused and dazed, and uh, we just got to wing this wing it the best way we can. But anyway, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I'm, well, we got to start it off with Donald Trump. Everybody else is starting stuff off with Donald Trump. One. Uh, well, uh, I just got something that says uh, another uh, Democratic um, representative in the halls of Congress and drew up articles of impeachment. You know, I mean, Democrats can draw up all kinds of articles of impeachment that they want if the Republicans fail to do anything about it because uh, they are in control of everything. It, it won't get done. But maybe uh, <laughs> the Republicans could uh, become so embarrassed of Donald Trump that they will have to do something. And now they're talking about maybe Donald Trump is about to shut down the government and to, to use those funds to try to build a wall. So Donald Trump is just that arrogant. He would probably do that. that that's a lot of things that come up about Donald Trump that I may not have researched myself. I may believe it because if it sounds like it's something Donald Trump would do, then whether it's uh, whether you whether someone told you about it or whether you read it someplace or whether you didn't read it somewhere and someone told you about it, you probably feel that it it's probably true when you know when you've known Donald Trump's mo when you've known his motives, you know. So you know it, it it's probably true because he promised his supporters. A wall, and that's one of the things, probably the biggest thing that that got him elected, foolishly got him elected, because this man knows nothing about government. He knows nothing how to give a speech. I mean, if you think about it, there's two Donald Trumps when when uh, he's giving a speech. There's two. There's the Donald Trump with the teleprompter, and then there's the Donald Trump without the tele teleprompter. You know, I mean, you can, <laughs> I mean, when Donald Trump goes without that tele, teleprompter, his speeches, his rallies, they are wild and crazy and just loony. But when he's on that teleprompter, I mean, he's reading the words <laughs> someone else written for him, for him to read. I mean, he sounds great. I mean, 
I think when the first time I've heard Donald Trump read off a teleprompter, read someone else's words that uh, was written for him for a speech, I told myself right away, that's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the person that goes off script. Donald Trump is the guy without the teleprompter. That's what you're getting. Because every time Donald Trump reads somebody else's speech, he comes back the next day and say, hey, wow, I didn't mean a word of that. This is what I mean over here. The lunacy. <laughs> so, you know, there's two Donald Trumps. There's one with with the teleprompter, which some people say sounds presidential because he's reading from a teleprompter. He can't impromptu anything, you know, and he doesn't write his own material. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He doesn't know anything about government. He doesn't know how to govern. He doesn't know how America works. <laughs> he doesn't know any of that. So he's therefore not knowing anything about America, not knowing how to govern, not knowing how to be a leader. Donald Trump has to read someone else's speech so that someone else wrote for him. He can't write speech probably can't write period who knows but then there's the other donald trump that speaks without the teleprompter speak without uh written words of someone else and he just goes all buck wow <laughs> in his speeches i mean he just i mean donald trump is 71 years old he can't be he can't change he can't be nobody else he, he, he can only be the person that he is he can't change. I mean, he is what he is. And by him not being able to change or wanting to change and thinking that he's the smartest, smartest, excuse me, thinking he's the smartest person in the room, you know, he cannot change. Donald Trump is going to be Donald Trump, the racist, the narcissist, the fascist. <laughs> I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on. The, the KKK, the Nazi sympathizer. I mean, this is what Donald Trump is. And these latest speeches that he's been giving, not one time did he deny not being a part of those groups. Because he knows those groups are, are uh, the groups that put him over the top. So they say they did. I don't know. And Donald Trump, and those are his core supporters. Basically, when he, when he gave that speech, uh, last night or the other other night in in uh, Phoenix, his supporters, most majority of his support, most of, uh, my tongue is tied. Most of the majority of the supporters that attended that uh, rally were uh, white nationalists, his people, and I, I'm pretty sure in the second speech after uh, he was they were disappointed because he said that he was trying to heal America against hatred. That, that sounds good, but that is not Donald Trump. Donald Trump said that because he was under duress and pressure, probably from the rest of the Republican Party to say something like that. Donald Trump knows nothing about bringing a country together. He deliberately and intentionally divide this country. I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, um, the way it is with Donald Trump. I mean, he intentionally divides his country, and he thinks it. <laughs> he thinks it's good for America. Uh, uh, Donald Trump doesn't give a hoot about the American people. 
Donald Trump only cares about himself and how much money he can uh, cipher from Americans because that's what he's doing. He's ciphering money from us and, and it's going into his businesses. I mean, if, case in point, you take the Secret Service, for instance. They say that they're running out of money. They can't afford to pay a lot of these Secret Service uh, the Secret Service personnel, personnel to protect Trump and his, his family. He has a big family, and that costs a lot of money. That costs a hell of a lot of money, you know. And the money that, uh, that, that we pay the uh, Secret Service to protect Donald Trump and his family goes into Trump's bank account. And this is why a lot of people are probably saying Donald Trump should pay for his own secret service. <laughs> I don't think nobody want to mess with Donald Trump and his family. You know, it, it's, a, it's just a shame that we have to pay for all of his vacations and golf outings, you know, 17 days, 2017 uh, day vacation every other week, every week or every other week is too many. Remember when he lambasted Obama for taking vacations and 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 playing golf? Donald Trump has done it twofold. He's taken more vacations. The reason why he's taking more vacations? Because he's under the hot seat. He's got these investigations going. So he has to take these vacations and he has to try to change the narrative, distract us on something else. To keep us from thinking about the investigations, and he's a good judge. He one one of the things Donald Trump is good at. He's good at distracting people, and um, the only reason why he distracts us is because he's the president of the United States. If he was somebody else, we wouldn't notice or care or give a damn. But this guy is the president of the United States, so whatever comes out of his mouth, whatever he does, it goes around the world. And Donald Trump doesn't seem to understand that. And he is really on the press. I mean, anytime the press prints something about Donald Trump that's true, but makes Donald Trump look bad, it's fake news. Majority of the time, most of the time, the press is, and even going back to his campaign, uh, uh, the press were printing and saying things about Donald Trump that was true. The stuff was bad, like you know, grabbing pussies and all of that stuff. That stuff was uh, bad, uh, you know, not wanting to rent to African-Americans and, you know, stiffing his workers, not paying his workers. And all of this stuff was true. It's true. But it, but when the media, when the journalists, reporters printed this stuff, it was in the paper and talked about on the news, suddenly Donald Trump calls his fake news because Actually, what they're writing is true, but he doesn't like it. It makes him look bad, so it's fake news. And every time I'm looking around, uh, turn around, some uh, representative in Congress is filing uh, articles of impeachment against Trump. But it's going nowhere because the Democrats doesn't control anything. Uh, However, if the Democrats had... Uh, control of the House and the Congress, Trump would probably be out on his ass by now. But the Republicans uh, are, are are controlling everything. 
So, you know, it's up to them. And they've been aiding and abetting Trump. They've been sticking with him, even though a lot of them think that he's awful. A lot of them have been hearing from have been hearing from their constituency on throwing Trump out. But the Republican Party in in Washington, they are all about their party, their party bosses. They really are not adhering to what their constituency wants them to do. They're going to stick with Trump for some reason. I don't know. I've been reading and understanding that Trump, his poll numbers may be over 50 percent in some districts around America. But as uh, but as a whole, his um, uh, approval ratings is below 40 percent. And so I'm saying, though, that's kind of high. So they don't want to, the Republicans don't want to do anything that's going to piss off Trump supporters so they don't do anything about him. That's ridiculous. That is totally ridiculous. The man is a menace <laughs> and he should be thrown out on his butt. He should, I mean, Donald Trump should not be uh, uh, impeached. He should be literally kicked out. This guy is so bad, it's pitiful. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. My guest scheduled for to show today is Michael B. Dunksman, D-R-U-X-M-A-N, Drunksman. You know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but we'll find out. All right, making the world a better place one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is on the air. Guest Michael B. Dunksman. Let's not let not rule your heart for hate. For hate is only a means to an end, my friend. Hate has no home here on the George Wilder Jr. Show, uh, broadcasting straight up live out of the city of Chicago. And you know what? Someone told me, George, summer's going to be ending. I said, oh, no, don't say that. Please don't say that. I'm not ready to freeze. Winter is coming, and I'm not ready to, you know, to be cold. I can't stand cold. <laughs> And guess what, folks? I mean, the, what is this thing? The lottery, the Powerball, they say is $700 million. 700 and I played it. I got a ticket. I mean, you, you have to be a fool not to try, uh, try this one, try to win this. I mean, I have a ticket, and they're saying the odds are really, really low. But anyway, hey, wow, I'm out there with the rest of you guys. I bought a ticket. I bought one. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I bought one. I try to, uh, we're cutting back. The budget is being slashed. So I had to get just one ticket. And uh, I'm like the rest of you guys. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a loser. Let's think positive, George. You got to think positive. I have been thinking positive. And, uh, but who knows? Who knows? I did buy a ticket. I also got a, Got one of those mega, a mega ticket. I haven't checked the numbers yet, but you know, who knows? I could be a millionaire. Wow. And I've been asked, what would you do if you won the Powerball or the mega millions? Uh, everybody's got a story on that one. You know, everybody has a story on that one. What would you do if you won the Powerball? Oh man, I'd probably buy, I think I'd go buy, buy Hawaii, the whole state of Hawaii, you know, and just sit out in the sun for the rest of my life, you know, no working, uh, no troubles, no problems. And, you know, by my own, by myself, my own doctor, (laughs) 
I don't have to go to clinics and hospitals and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I would probably buy the island of Hawaii, those, those islands around there, and uh, maybe some places out in the Caribbean, you know, away from cities and towns and suburbs and stuff like that, and just be out there, you know, with your family and just, wow, this is beautiful. So that's what I would do. Of course, I would give to my favorite charities, but the bulk of it, I would buy an island out there, uh, preferably Hawaii. That would be beautiful. So what would you do if you won $700 million? To tell you the truth, if I found out that I won $700 million, $700 million, I'd probably die. I'd probably have a, I probably would have a heart attack. Oh! <laughs> and then I wouldn't get to spend any of it, right? <laughs> It'll go to my family, right? Or someone. Wow. $700 million. Man. Ah. I'm going to be dreaming for, I'm going to be dreaming until I find out that I didn't win. And then I'll just start playing more and more and more. I don't play, play, the, lottery, play the lottery as I as much as I used to play. You know, I'm just, you know, I, I think I've spent about a million dollars trying to play the lottery, trying to win it. <laughs> so I've lost a lot of money playing lottery. Because it basically it's a gamble anyway, so because I've been playing all my life, and uh, you know been losing all my life, so you never know. You never know, and you're right. You have to think positive. You have to think positive. Every time I go downstairs to the store below me, below the studio, below the studio, buy a ticket, the guy says he always, he always always saying good luck, good luck, good luck. Well, he's saying good luck because if, if he know if I win, he knows he's going to get a piece of it, you know. So that's why he says good luck. But, you know, so who knows? So um, it's $700 million. One million would be nice. You know what I'm saying? It would be nice. Don't you think so? <laughs> All right. You've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on right here on Block Talk Radio. Follow me all over the place. And uh, this is what we have. Let's see what we got here. Bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. We'll be right back. Let me talk to Donald Trump. 
and explained to him that as president of the United States, he represents blacks and Jewish people and Hispanics and people of every color and every creed. And it is his job as president of the United States to stand up for each and every American, to stand up vertically against racism and bigotry. Peddling to racism is just as bad as being a racist. So Donald Trump is either a racist or he's peddling to it, and both are frank, frankly unacceptable and make him unfit to be president of the United States. If you can't be president, if you cannot stand up and represent Americans, you should not be president. And to my party, to the Republicans who are speaking out today, my question is, what the hell took you so long? When someone shows you who they are the first time, believe them. For too long, Republicans in Congress, elected leaders, have looked the other way while a misogynist, racist, bigoted pig is in the White House. Let me tell you, we cannot capitulate the office of the presidency of the United States. We cannot capitulate moral clarity. We cannot capitulate principles. We cannot capitulate Republican values and American values. No piece of legislation no bone that he may throw on policy, no regulation is worth cheapening the office of the United States this way. It is breaking us apart. It is not news that's breaking us apart. It is the president of the United States who is causing this news. So Republicans need to stand up, need to grow a spine, and need to reject him. They don't, I'm tired of hearing Republicans say they're disappointed and disturbed by something he says. You know what? When he invites you to the White House, don't yeah. go. When he invites you to dinner, don't go. Do not stand next to him until he starts behaving in a presidential manner. Go. And if he can't, you've got to confront him over and over and over and over again. And, Governor, here's, here's, what, here's what folks are saying. Um, those comments today that were at Trump Tower, in the same place where he launched his presidential campaign in June of 2015, by saying this. When Mexico sends its people... They're not sending their best. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. So, Governor, you know, the All righty, that was Anna Navarro on the George Wilder Jr. Show. I just love her. She just, <laughs> she speaks her mind, folks. I mean, she doesn't... She, she doesn't beat around the corner. She doesn't beat around the bushes, as they, as they would say. She speaks her mind, and she's a Republican strategist. You know, I mean, you, you would think that she was some, some liberal, but she's a Republican strategist, and she doesn't like Donald Trump. <laughs> and she makes it known. I've known a lot of people who said, well, I mean, in high places, it, they just don't like Donald Trump. You know, and, uh, you know, so it, it happens. All right. Welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. You're on the air. Hi, this is Michael Druxman. I'm calling. Drux? Yeah, yeah, Drux I know. You, you're uh, you Druxman. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I have you, I, I have you right here on my uh, um, monitor, my, my uh, uh, marquee, as I called it. Yeah, so I was expecting you. All right. So. Right. Uh, so, so welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. No problem. Give us a little bio. Tell us a little bit something about yourself, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of what, what, why you're here. Well, I'm a I'm a a writer. I'm a screenwriter, a novelist. Uh, I've directed films. I'm a playwright. I was in Hollywood for 45 years. 
I live in Austin wow. now. Originally from Seattle, actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as soon as I graduated from college, I got in my car and drove down to Los Angeles. And, uh, <laughs> Sound like <laughs> I always a, wanted to be in not, the entertainment business. Yeah, I did. I do too. I, who doesn't? Who really doesn't? But a lot of us uh, can't get there, and some of us just wind up being lucky. End up being lucky. Well, you know, you just have to you set a goal for yourself and go for it. Yeah. It took me ten years of trying to sell my first screenplay. Wow! So, so you're gonna be ask, so you're gonna be actually talking about Jackie Goes to Dixie? Is that a book? No, that's my new novel. It was published uh, okay. a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. It's about, okay. It's about <clears throat> pardon me. It's about a lost. It takes place in the 1970s, and mm-hmm. it's about a Las Vegas comic, very brash Las Vegas co- Jewish comic. Think Don Rickles. Or, or Buddy Hackett, somebody like that. Who, okay, that's funny. <laughs> his, his name is Jackie Moss, and mm-hmm. he is accidentally booked into a one-night gig deep, deep in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas. The people who booked him thought they were booking a country western singer by the name of Jake Moss. So Jackie gets there. And you can imagine the shock. Everybody is shocked that yeah. hey, you, you know, um, and it goes on for there. It's a you know, it's a light read. It's a light summer read. And um, yeah, yeah. You know. The description, the way you've described it, it makes it feels like instead of a novel, it probably could have been a screenplay. Well, it started out as a screenplay, and mm-hmm. um, then I. I'd know I'm going to write a novel. And it actually took me many years because I'd start it, put it aside, go on to something else. And mm-hmm. I finished it, uh, you know, a few months ago. And, uh, Sounds like it's funny. I think it is. Barbara Eden uh, blurbed the book, thought it was fun- very funny. And, yeah, um, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this is this your first actual novel? Oh, no. This is about my sixth or seventh. Oh, uh, Okay. You know, uh, my last my last novel was based on the the William Desmond Taylor murder. It's called Murder in mm. Babylon. The William Desmond oh. Taylor murder uh, took place in 1922. Uh, he was a famous Hollywood director, and they found him murdered one morning. Somebody had shot him, and it's actually mm-hmm. officially unsolved. But <laughs> I know who the killer okay. is, so <laughs> I uh, of course you're the, you're the author, right? <laughs> right. You've written uh, about uh, Dracula, I understand. Yeah, I, I, well, you know. Yeah. So have I. <clears throat> so have I. Uh, yeah, I've written Dracula. I'm, I'm doing Wolfman now. Uh, right. I've done love. I've done love stories. I've done the uh, police, the cops and robbers thing. I wanted to take right. a change of pace, and I find out doing horror books, it, it's a lot more fun. You know, it's not as serious as a lot of. Uh, the other stuff that I've done, the love stories, the love books, the novels, right. uh, the detective books, you know, like uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes type of type of a genre I've done. So I just wanted to kind of just make a turn, turn, right. because uh, I don't I write those kind of books, those kind of stories for fun. That's all I write them for because they're in enjoyment, you know. Oh, yeah. And well, uh, you know, one of my publicity clients uh, used to be Christopher Lee. Who is probably the oh, foremost yeah, yeah. Dracula. He was, you know, um, 
In fact, you know, when I was around him, I, I, I used to wear a crucifix, and I'm Jewish. <laughs> For real? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But okay. it's a good line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. I, 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 I mean, you say you're from Hollywood. You've done a lot of movies. I'm thinking, wow, a crucifix around as if he's actually. I mean, he was really Dracula. I mean, when you, when you saw Christopher Lee, you saw Dracula. I mean, over all the other people who have played him, including Bela Lugosi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bela yeah, Lugosi no, he was... had he, Bela Lugosi had that accent that that made yeah. him authentic. Yeah, well, one of the plays uh, I've, I've written recently, um, it's called The Last Monsters, and um, it takes place in the 1950s on the set of uh, a film called The Black Sleep, which starred, which and the three leading characters are Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., and John Carradine. And, um, <laughs> That's uh, great. Yeah. No, I, John Carradine. I, and it was fun know. to write. Yeah, Car- I knew Carradine. You know, I had a lot yeah. of um, dealings with him. and um, He was in a lot of movies. He was a character actor, but he was in a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. Some of the great ones, Grapes of Wrath, yeah. Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So you directed what uh, you did directed movies for Hollywood. I mean, what are your best? I mean, um, well, I only directed how... one feature. We shot it in okay. Ireland in, in um, 1999. It was it was a horror film, actually. Uh, called The Doorway, with, and starred Roy Scheider. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. You know, Roy Scheider from Jaws. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, he's he's passed away now. Yeah. Yes, he's really a great guy. I loved working with him. But I've yeah, he, several films. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say Roy Scheider. I mean, I've, I've got him in my studio, uh, Jaws, and I think he was in Jaws 1, Jaws 2, or something like that. Right. He, he was then a, he didn't want to do right Jaws 3. They sued him. <laughs> they, you know, he, he he was supposed to do Jaws three, but they had, you know, he didn't want to do it. So, but he was un- under contract to do it. Yeah, he actually didn't want to do Jaws two, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, well, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, you you've seemed like you had a lustrous career, and like so many people who uh, who may retire from Hollywood, making movies or directing, they. Uh, go. They start writing. I mean, you take Kirk Douglas for instance. You know, I mean, this guy. He's been writing ever since he's been out of Hollywood. That's true. That's true. And so, as I mm-hmm. understand, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman quit about yeah. like, ten years ago. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. I, I understand he's he's you know written many novels and. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I love writing. I love writing, and uh, you know, I like Fiction? writing plays. Yeah, fiction, and uh, well, I've written. A, I have a series of plays, uh, many of which have been done around the country, called the Hollywood mm-hmm. Legends, and a bunch mm-hmm. of them are one-person plays, like Clark Gable and Spencer Tracy and Carol Lombard, Al Jolson, and um, oh, yeah. you know, the, the last few I've written are multiple character plays, like The Last Monsters, which are all available on Amazon. If there's any actors on, out there that can see themselves in one of these parts. Uh, the plays are available on Amazon. What do you think about the acting of uh, the acting of old Hollywood and the acting of today? Is there any sort of parallels or that you well, think? Well, you know, my wife and I were talking about. See, I'm 76. I'm not a kid. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah, that's okay. That's fine. The, but 
I find the acting, and I guess it started with Brando, although you could understand him. Yeah. But there's so many, you know, we're, listening, we're watching movies that are uh, new movies and TV shows, and, and quite often I can't understand what the people are saying. You know, they, they you. mumble or they drop their voices. I mean, you look at the old movies and you could hear every word. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, I, I have a problem with act, the, the, the showmanship of today, too. I mean, the acting is so plastic. You can see through it. You can tell that they're just just mouthing words and not really into the character, from my standpoint, anyway. And well, when you, you watch know, an old Go ahead. Well, I don't think there is any star today that can guarantee the success of a movie. I think the last star, pardon me, who could guarantee the box office if he was doing certain roles was Clint Eastwood. Yeah. I, I can't think of anybody since him. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't help a movie. I mean, like if, if Robert De Niro is in a movie, you'll, you'll look to see if, if, if it interests you. But you won't go to see it because Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or whoever is in it. But you know, back you know, you know, back when Eastwood was at the top of his game, you'd go to see it because Eastwood was in it. Right. And uh, right. I don't think you have that today anymore. Well, what you have today is uh, superhero movies, and uh... <laughs> yeah, which I, I and... the last one I started to watch was. Uh, Superman versus Batman, and I turned it off about. It was awful, man. I saw yeah. it. It it was awful. Uh, I wasted money on the DVD. <laughs> well, I have not gone to a movie theater and sat in a movie mm. theater for about three years. I think the last movie mm. I saw in a theater was Zero Dark Thirty, and just before that, I saw. Lady I have Rock. that. I have that right here. Yeah. But uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, yeah, I have the DVD. Yeah, but you know, if there's something I want to see, I wait two, three months and it comes on Red, Bo- Red Box and I rent it for what, a dollar sixty or something like that? And I have a, yeah. you know, a 52-inch, <laughs> I have a 52 inch screen at home and surround sound. And, you know, when you get to be my you age, the you, the nice thing yeah. is you, you can put, yeah, you can put it on pause and if you have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I mean, the last time I went to the theater, I mean, it was to see the Avengers movie, okay, and uh, it was so packed. I mean, it was really packed with people, and to believe it or not, someone sat down next to me and fell asleep and snored all through the movie, sitting really? right there beside me. That's a true story, and since then. I have been renting my movies or buying them and staying home and watching my big screen television, staying away from the theaters. Yeah, I enjoy it. I I, yeah. I, I enjoy it. But, um, yeah. but you know, I've you know, I have probably I'd like to get rid of a lot of them. But you know, I've got probably about four thousand movies at home. You know, that because oh, I wow. used to write reviews, and so I'd get you know they send me yeah. freebies. And um, oh, okay. VHS. Uh, no, uh, DVD or DVD. DVD, okay, okay, DVD. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about your book. Do you have an excerpt? Would you like to read it to my audience? Um, well, you know, I'm not the greatest reader, but I would be happy to. Okay, great. Up. 
pull it out here. Mm-hmm. Just a second. Okay, <clears throat> chapter one. <clears throat> Pardon me. Did I ever tell you about the time I was almost lynched? It happened back in the mid-1970s in a place called Buford, Arkansas. That's way up in the Ozark Mountains. You're probably Mm -hmm. wondering what Dave Arthur, a 50-year-old Jewish piano player and movie buff from New York, was doing in hillbilly country. I was working. My boss, Jackie Moss, also a 50-year-old Jew from New York, had a gig there. Actually, He's the one that the folks in Buford really wanted to lynch. They were just taking me along for the ride. If you're old enough, you'll remember Jackie Moss. He was one of America's top stand-up comics. Excuse me, Jackie hated the word comic. He was a comedian. Back in the day, there was Don Rickles, Jack Carter, Buddy Hackett, and Jackie Moss. They headlined every major nightclub in the country. They appeared in appeared regularly on every television and variety show, talk show. Audiences loved them. They were legends in their own time. Now, you're probably wondering why the hell, if Jack, Jackie Moss was such a legend in his own time, he was working in a Fakakta, his term, place like Buford. The truth is, that's the only job he could get by then, and he got that one strictly by accident. I guess I should start at the beginning. You want me to go on, or... Oh, um, that sounds great, man. It sounds great. It's very interesting. Uh, you know, as you was reading that, I was thinking about one of Robert De Niro's um, current movies, The Comedian. I haven't seen that. I I haven't, did, yeah, I, I haven't seen that, but I've, I've seen the I haven't trailer. seen it either. I, I haven't seen it either, but I think uh, the premise is the premise might be a little uh, similar. I'm not sure, but I was thinking about that and also thought about Lenny Bruce because he was a comedian oh, yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, Lenny Bruce. Uh, and well, I used to represent they... when I was a publicist, a lot of comedians. In fact, I represented Jack Carter uh, yeah. and I represented Stanley Myron Handelman and uh, Jackie Vernon and wow. uh, Rip Taylor works clients of mine. And um, uh, one other who still owes me money and it's still a lot. <laughs> I guess those things happen. Do you actually miss do you do you actually miss that? I'm pretty sure you're probably retired now. Do you miss that? Doing well, all of those uh, things, meeting all those folks? I, I miss the Hollywood that was, that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. The yeah. poly, Hollywood that I love doesn't really exist anymore. You know, I've, yeah. I, you know I've lived here in mm-hmm. Austin for about eight and a half years now, and I've gone mm-hmm. back two or three times, and I don't recognize the place. And um, Wow. You know, I can't wait. You know, we have family back there, so uh, but uh, I can't wait to get home. You know, back to Austin. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. not there anymore. I mean, it used to be, you know, such a great place, and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. You know. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot but, of you know, great to, people. Let's go to the studios. You know, once or twice a week, and you did yeah. the brown dirty, and all those places have gone. It's 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 just not there. Yeah, it's like night and day. I mean, you compare that yeah. time to this to to now. It's like night and day, and I I I too I, I'm a um, fan of old Hollywood. I really am more so than I am now. Now it's like, you know, everything's so oh, I digital. Love the, I, I love the old movies. I love the old. Films. Yeah, I I do too. The old black and white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, to but, me, the but, last great movie to come out of Hollywood came, I think it was released, I'm not sure, it was the same year as Titanic, but the last yeah. great movie to come out of Hollywood was L.A. Confidential. You with, know what? Uh, I have that movie also. <laughs> I love that film. That is a brilliant yeah. film. Yeah. And, it, it, and if it, you it, read the novel it was based on, you'll realize how how brilliant it is because I, I you know I saw the movie and I said I'll read the novel and I hated the novel. Yeah. It, um, yeah, James Elroy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, no, no, I love I love a good western which we don't make anymore, and I love a good gangster movie. Um, yeah, I love reading gangster. I, I love a good gangster movie, and I also love a good uh, Western novel. I like to read the novels too. I think some of the novels are yeah. better than some of the actual pictures, you know. Because oh, I wrote a Western not, one. It's actually a, a the movie of of all the movies I've written. Uh, it's the one I'm most proud of. It's called. Um, it came out in I think '94. It's called. It was called Cheyenne Warrior, with wow. uh, Kelly Kelly Preston and Dan Haggerty and Bo Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know the movie's twenty four years old. I still get family on it. Wow, uh, you know yeah. that that should be the next thing for me is to write a western. I've done horror, I've done everything else, and love stories and all that. I should do a western. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking well, about fun. it for real. I'm they're, I'm thinking fun. about it. Yeah, but uh, the one of the reasons why I I I didn't think I could do a western because I'm I'm not. I'm, I don't know anything about the West too much, so I thought maybe I can research it and probably do it. Well, you want you know something? When I you know I mm-hmm. always love westerns, but I wrote this, and it, you know the, it's a, it's about a, um, a a white couple going you know heading west, and she's pregnant, and her husband is killed by some baddies, some bad guys, mm-hmm. and it's winter, and. She, uh, uh, an uh, Indian uh, uh, brave saves her, and it's a lo- becomes a love story between them. And so the and I my background, if you know my background, I have had absolutely no. You wouldn't think I could write a western because because I, and it just <laughs> came to me, you know. I yeah. I, I don't know where yeah. it came from, you know, because I have no background in that, you know. Before I'd written yeah. things I knew, you know, and yeah. Um, that's that's that what that's what you call talent. That's what that is. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know something something reached yeah. down and gave me yeah. the, you know. But I love the work. You know, I wrote a film which I screwed up, but I wrote a film mm-hmm. called Dillinger and Capone. You know, and which oh I okay. Chicago. You know, when I went to Chicago first time, the first place I went was the Biograph Theater. <laughs> Somewhere where uh, Dillinger was supposedly gunned down. Yeah, I don't believe you. Know, you, you don't believe it either. <laughs> no, I, I really don't. Uh, you know. Well, anyway, uh, it's been great talking to you. Uh, tell everybody where they can get your book and how they can get more information okay. on what you do, stuff like that. Well, my website is Druxman Works, D-R-U-X-M-A-N-Works, mm-hmm. W-O-R-K-S dot com. Uh, the name of the new novel is Jackie Goes to Dixie. And you you can it's on you can get it on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle and in about another month you'll be able to get it as an audiobook. Fred Freeze is is he's got about two more chapters to record and you can get it as an audiobook. Yeah. All right, author Michael B. Drugsman on the author Michael B. Drugsman on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead and, and finish your last thought. 
No, I was just going to say, if any of the play, mm-hmm. you, you know, the, the stage plays, they're, they're all available on Amazon. Just look, look mm-hmm. up my name, and you can see a very long list of what's available. All right, Michael B. Druxman on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks a lot. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Making the world a better place <laughs> one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now the George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. <laughs> All right. Judd, stupid fucking slut. You can't sue someone for calling them a cunt. If you can't handle the internet, fuck off, whore. I wish Ashley Judd would die a horrible death. She is the absolute worst. Ashley Judd, you're the reason women shouldn't vote. Twisted is such a bad movie, I don't even want to rape it. Whatever you do, don't tell Ashley Judge she'll die alone with a dried-out vagina. If I had to fuck an older woman, oh my God, I would fuck the shit out of Ashley Judd. That bitch is hot AF. The unforgivable shit I would do to her. Online misogyny is a global gender rights tragedy, and it is imperative that it ends. Women's voices and our allies' voices are constrained in ways that are personally, economically, professionally, and politically damaged. And when we curb abuse, we will expand freedom. I am a Kentucky basketball fan, so on a fine March day last year, I was doing one of the things I do best. I was cheering for my Wildcats. The daffodils were blooming, but the referees were not blowing the whistle when I was telling them to. Funny, they're very friendly to me before the opening tip, but they really ignore me during the game. Three of my players were bleeding, so I did the next best thing. I tweeted. It is routine for me to be treated in the ways I've already described to you. It happens to me every single day on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. 
Since I joined Twitter in 2011, misogyny and misogynists have amply demonstrated they will dog my every step. My spirituality, my faith, being a hillbilly, I can say that, you can't, all of it is fair game. And I have responded to this with various strategies. I've tried engaging people. This one guy was sending me hyper-sexual, nasty stuff, and there was a girl in his avatar, and I wrote him back and said, is that your daughter? I feel a lot of fear that you may think about and talk to women this way. And he surprised me by saying, you know what? You're right. I apologize. Sometimes people want to be held accountable. This one guy was musing to I don't know who, that maybe I was the definition of a cunt. I was married to a Scot for 14 years, so I said, cunt means many different things in different countries. But I'm pretty sure you epitomize the global standard of a dick. I've tried to rise above it, I've tried to get in the trenches, but mostly I would scroll through these social media platforms with one eye partially closed, trying not to see it, but you can't make a cucumber out of a pickle. What is seen goes in, it's traumatic. And I was always secretly hoping in some part of me that what was being said to me and about me wasn't true. Because even I, an avowed, self-declared feminist, who worships at the altar of Gloria, <laughs> internalize the patriarchy. This is really critical. Patriarchy is not boys and men. It is a system in which we all participate, including me. On that particular day, for some reason, that particular tweet after the basketball game triggered something called a cyber mob, this vitriolic, global outpouring of the most heinous hate speech, death threats, rape threats. And don't you know, when I was sitting at home alone in my nightgown, I got a phone call, and it was my beloved former husband, and he said on a voicemail, loved one, what is happening to you is not okay. And there was something about him taking a stand for me that night that allowed me to take a stand for myself, and I started to write. I started to write about sharing the fact that I'm a survivor of all forms of sexual abuse, including three rapes, and the hate speech I get in response to that. These are just some of the comments posted to news outlets. Being told I'm a snitch is really fun. Thank you, Jesus. May your grace and mercy shine. So I wrote this feminist op-ed. It is entitled, Forget Your Team. It is your online gender violence toward girls and women that can kiss my righteous ass. <laughs> and I did that alone, and I published it alone, because my chief advisor said, please don't. The reign of retaliatory garbage that is inevitable, I fear for you. But I trust girls, and I trust women, and I trust our allies. It was published. It went viral. It proves that every single day, online misogyny is a phenomenon endured by us all, all over the world. And when it is intersectional, it is worse. Sexual orientation, gender identity, race, ethnicity, religion, you name it, it amplifies the violence endured by girls and women. And for our younger girls, it is worse. It's clearly traumatizing. Our mental health, our emotional well-being, 
are so gravely affected because the threat of violence is experienced neurobiologically as violence. The cortisol shoots up, the limbic system gets fired, we lose productivity at work. And let's talk about work. Our ability to work is constrained. Online searches of women applying for jobs reveal nude pictures of them, false allegations they have STDs, their addresses indicating that they are available for sex. With real examples of people showing up at this house for said sex. Our ability to go to school is impaired. 96% of all postings of sexual images in our young people Girls, our girls, our boys are two to three times more likely non-consensually to share images. And I want to say a word about revenge porn. Part of what came out of this tweet was my getting connected with allies and other activists who are fighting for a safe and free internet. We started something called the Speech Project, curbing abuse, expanding freedom. And that website provides a critical forum because there is no global legal thing to help us figure this out. But we do provide on that website a standardized list of definitions because it's hard to attack a behavior in the right way if we're not all sharing a definition of what that behavior is. And I learned that revenge porn is often dangerously misapplied. It is the non-consensual sharing of an image used tactically to shame and humiliate a girl or woman that attempts to pornography us. Our natural sexuality is, I don't know about yours, pretty gorgeous and wonderful. And my expressing it does not pornography make. So I have all these resources that I'm keenly aware so many people in the world do not. I was able to start the speech project with colleagues. I can often get a social media company's attention. I have a wonderful visit to Facebook HQ coming up. Hasn't helped the idiotic reporting standards yet. I actually pay someone to scrub my social media feeds attempting to spare my brain the daily iterations of the trauma of hate speech. And guess what? I get hate speech for that. Oh, you live in an echo chamber. Well, guess what? Having someone post a photograph of me with my mouth open saying they can't wait to come on my face, I have a right to set that boundary. And this distinction between virtual and real is specious because guess what? That actually happened to me once when I was a child. And so that tweet brought up that trauma and I had to do work on that. But you know what we do? We take all of this hate speech and we disaggregate it and we code it and we give that data so that we understand the intersectionality of it. You know, when I get porn, when it's about political affiliation, when it's about age, when it's about all of it. We're going to win this fight. There are a lot of solutions, thank goodness. I'm going to offer just a few, and of course I challenge you to create and contribute your own. Number one, we have to start with digital media literacy, and clearly it must have a gendered lens. Kids, schools, caregivers, parents, it's essential. 
Two, shall we talk about our friends in tech? Said with dignity and respect, the sexism in your workplaces must end. Edge, the global standard for gender equality is the minimum standard and guess what, Silicon Valley, if L'Oreal in India, in the Philippines, in Brazil, and in Russia can do it, you can too. Enough excuses. Only when women have critical mass in every department at your companies, including building platforms from the ground up, will the conversations about priorities and solutions change. And more love for my friends in tech, profiteering off misogyny and video games must end. I'm so tired of hearing you talk to me at cocktail parties, like you did a couple weeks ago in Aspen, about how deplorable hashtag Gamergate was when you're still making billions of dollars off games that maim and dump women for sport. Basta, as the Italians would say. Enough. Our friends in law enforcement have much to do because we've seen that online violence is an extension of in-person violence. In our country, more girls and women have been murdered by their intimate partners than died on 9-11 and have died since in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. And it's not cool to say that, but it is true. We care so much geopolitically about what men are doing over there to women over there, so how, how's it going? In 2015, right. 72,828 women used intimate partner violence services in this country. That is not counting the girls and women and boys who needed them. Law enforcement must be empowered with up-to-date internet technology, the devices, and an understanding of these platforms, how they work. The police wanted to be helpful when Amanda Hess called about the death threat she was getting on Twitter, but they couldn't really when they said, what's Twitter? Our legislators must write and pass astute legislation that reflects today's technology and our notions of free and hate speech. In New York recently, the law could not be applied to a perpetrator because the crimes must have been committed, even if it was anonymous, they must have been committed by telephone, in mail, by telegraph. <laughs> the language must be technologically neutral. So apparently, I've got a pretty bold voice. So let's talk about our friends, white men. You have a role to play and a choice to make. You can do something or you can do nothing. We're cool in this room, but when this goes out, everyone will say, oh my God, she's a reverse racist. That quote was said by a white man, Robert Morris, chairperson, Price Waterhouse Cooper. He asked me to include it in my talk. We need to grow support lines and help groups so victims can help each other when their lives and finances have been derailed. We must, as individuals, disrupt gender violence. As it is happening, 92% of young people, 29 and under, witness it. 72% of us have witnessed it. 
We must have the courage and urgency to practice stopping it as it is unfolding. And lastly, believe her. Believe her. This is fundamentally a problem of human interaction. And thus, I believe that human interaction is at the core of our healing. Trauma not transformed will be trauma transferred. Edith Wharton said the end is latent in the beginning, so we are going to end this talk replacing hate speech with love speech. Because I get lonely in this, but I know that we are allies. I recently learned about how gratitude and affirmations offset negative interactions. It takes five of those to offset one negative interaction. And gratitude in particular, free, available globally, anytime, anywhere, to anyone in any dialect. It fires the pregenual anterior singlet, a watershed part of the brain that floods it with great good stuff. So I'm going to say awesome stuff about myself. I would like for you to reflect it back to me. It might sound something like this. I am a powerful and strong woman, and you would say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. My mama loves me. Yes, she does. I did a great job with my talk. Yes, you did. I have a right to be here. Yes, you do. I'm really cute. Yes, you are. God does good work. Yes, does. And I love you. Thank you so much for letting me be of service. Ladies and gentlemen, the George Wilder Jr. Show has now arrived.
right. Welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Trump unfit to be president. There is a fast way to get rid of him. Let's see what it says. For those who watched the president, Donald Trump, President Donald Trump's tirade in the Phoenix Tuesday night and his angry news conference in New York a week earlier and then recalled him, then recalled his Twitter threats about nuclear weapons earlier this month. There is some good news. A president can be removed from office if this if his cabinet deems him mentally unstable. There is also bad news. The only person who can start that process, Vice President Mike Pence, has been lulled to utter even a negative word about his boss. Of course, Mike Pence is a butt kisser, and that's <laughs> he's doing it to keep his job. And a lot of people are saying, can Donald Trump actually fire the vice president? I mean, hey, put it this way. Donald Trump is Pence's boss. Pence is the vice president, Mike Pence, and Donald Trump is his boss. Donald Trump is the president. I don't know for how long, but Mike Pence is the vice president. Okay. Uh, terrifying when you stop to think about it. And then there's worse news. Even a process that would effectively take the nuclear launch codes away from Trump faster than impeachment ever could still may not be fast enough. That's the thing, folks. Donald Trump has his hands on the nuclear launch codes. That means Somebody makes him mad, piss him off, he could blow us all up because he has his hands on the nuclear codes. Donald Trump could say, well, the, the world is doing me wrong. They're doing me wrong. They can't stand me. They don't like me. I'm going to blow everybody up. He can do it. He can do it. He can blow us all off the face of this earth. So one of the things we don't want to do is piss Donald Trump off too badly. You know, but there is no doubt about it. This man is dangerous. He's unstable. He doesn't know what he's doing. Congress should do, if Congress is not going to impeach him, at least uh, curtail some of his power by at least um, taking the nuclear codes out of his hands. He's totally unstable. And a lot of people are afraid. People in high places, other politicians and Former politicians, former presidents, and former governors, senators, representatives, they're pissed that this guy has all this power and he seemed to be losing it every time he takes, every time he's not on a teleprompter. Because as I've said earlier, if Donald Trump is using a teleprompter, that's not Donald Trump. If Donald Trump is reading someone else's words out to America and to the world, that's not Donald Trump. But when Donald Trump stands at one of his rallies, no reading, no one's speech, there's no teleprompter, he just go at it. I mean, his, his lunacy comes out, that's Donald Trump. That's the real Donald Trump. Even if Donald Trump tries to hide the, the real Donald Trump, if Donald Trump tries to hide the, his real self or Donald Trump tries to hide Donald Trump, it doesn't work. As I've stated before earlier in the show, Donald Trump is 71 years old. There's no way he can change 
all those 71 years in a heartbeat by being president of the United States. He can't change being a racist. He can't change being a narcissist. He can't change to wanting to be Hitler. He can't change um, being a sympathizer to the neo-Nazis, a racist himself. And remember, folks, Donald Trump has given about two or three, maybe three or four speeches so far, and he has not denied being a racist. He's, he hasn't come out and said, I'm not a racist, at least not at the broadcasting of this particular show. Now, once this show is over, I don't know what's going what's gonna to come out of his mouth. But at the broadcasting of this show, Donald Trump has not come out and told the world that he's not a racist. Everybody who's anybody thinks that Donald Trump is a racist by his actions and the things that he's saying. And he knows this. Donald Trump has had, he has had ample time to come out and tell the world that we're all wrong about him. He's not a racist. He's not a narcissist. He's not a fascist. He's not a neo-Nazi sympathizer. But no, he doesn't come out and say that. He comes out and said that we all should get together and heal our divisions. That's not Donald Trump. That's something that Donald Trump was told to say. Uh, A lot of of times if Donald Trump is saying something nice and (laughs) rational and intelligent, obviously somebody told him to say it. He's under duress. He's under pressure to say things that that is, let me put it this way. He's under duress to say things that are not in his heart. And then he comes back the very next day and say, that was all bullshit. This is how I really feel. This, now that's Donald Trump. <laughs> that's Donald Trump. I'd rather see the real Donald Trump than to see a fake Donald Trump. Because a lot of people now are saying that Donald Trump is a fake president, just like he's been calling the news media fake. And there was a time, I think a few months, a couple of months ago, he called the the media the enemy of the American people. I thought that was below the belt. He called the media, journalists, newspapers, television, everybody who reports on his uh, administration, he called these people, uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he was the enemy of the American people, and then he doubled down on it and then tripled down on it. The enemy of the American people is not the American press. It's the American, it's our American president. I mean, you have some of the greatest newspapers in the world, some of the greatest sources uh, uh, of news around saying the same thing. Donald Trump is the problem. Donald Trump is the enemy of the world. Donald Trump scares us all. Why does Donald Trump scare us all? Because he has in the palm of his hand the nuclear launch codes that could blow us all to smithereens. He gets if he if he feels that we if somebody's pissing him off and he can't stand it, I mean he could push a button and we're all gone. It's terrifying when you when you stop to think about it. And it it really is. It really is. The ability of a president 
the ability of a president is tough, you know. Uh, It's terrifying when you think about it, certainly faster than the ability to assemble the cabinet and poll it. Oh, yeah, I mean, Donald Trump could wipe us off the earth just as less than a minute or a second. You know, he could wipe everything out. And uh, before he could, this is why I'm saying I think Congress should take, take away his powers, take away these things from him. They know he's unstable. For Donald Trump to be unfit for the office, and the world knows it, but somehow the Republicans don't seem to know it. I mean, they complain about him. Uh, some of them don't like him, uh, but they still refuse to impeach him. Remember, impeachment does not always mean throwing an official out of office. It could impeachment could mean a reprimand, and then again, you know, it, it could be uh, being kicked out on your ass. It depends on uh, the circumstances surrounding it. But Donald Trump is is for the, for the last few months, I believe, Donald Trump has been up for being kicked out. Period. A lot of folks are saying impeachment would take too long. So a lot of people are asking Donald Trump to resign because impeachment would take too long. And and I'm hearing in some circles that Donald Trump just may resign, just may call it quits. You know, he may be looking at some possibility right now as I'm, as this show is going on, on a way to get out. He may be trying to find a way to get out. I don't think he likes the White House. I don't think he likes being um, a hermit in the White House. He can't go anywhere. He can't do this. His freedom is all uh, gone. And Donald Trump doesn't like that. He doesn't like being president. From uh, A lot of us feel and think that he doesn't like being president. He may be, a lot of people are saying, maybe he's doing things to try to uh, get Congress to uh, impeach him. This is not the job for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a businessman. He's breaking all kind of constitutional laws by still investing in his business and still making money and accepting money from his business. His businesses, he has quite a few. And a lot of people are really pissed off about that. And Congress won't do anything, will not do anything about that. And that's why I've been saying for a long time, Congress is aiding and abetting an an unfit president, a a president who is breaking all kinds of laws. And if Donald Trump does survive by November 18, it's going to be a tsunami. Uh, I mean, uh, the Republicans are going to be wiped the hell out. And they know it. They know it. They may be trying to find a way to impeach him. They may be trying to find a way to to curtail or limit some of his powers because right now Donald Trump has it all in his, in, in his hands by uh, the nuclear codes can blow us all off the damn earth. He, he, he can blow us all up. I mean, you've heard people say, if you've been following this and you've been following Donald Trump, I'm pretty sure you've heard people say that Donald Trump, uh, can get us all blown up. And it's true. It's true. Uh, the world will be over as we know it. 
And, uh, you know, it's up to Congress. It's up to Republicans. So far, they haven't done anything but get pissed off at some of the things he's said, at some of the things he's done, some of the things that um, are unlawful, but they have not impeached him. The Democrats, two or three, maybe four or five Democrats, have have uh, suggested that this guy be thrown out of office. There's Democrats, two or three, four maybe, uh, have drawn up articles of impeachment. But as I've said before, the Democrats, they don't control anything in Congress, so they really have no weight. But it's nice to know that they are uh, bringing this up and it's making news because it's, it's, um, it's uh, validating uh, a lot of what a large percentage of Americans are saying that he should be thrown out. He should be impeached. He's an embarrassment, you know, and this has to weigh heavily on Donald Trump. Maybe he's listening. Maybe he's not. Maybe uh, his handlers are keeping news like this away from him, but I don't think so. I think Donald Trump is, uh, I think he knows how America feels about him, but he runs every now and then he runs to his supporters who are dwindling. He'll find his, find these stupid ass people to sit in back of him at his rally and and cheer him on but the majority of the voters and the majority of Americans uh we don't see it that way we do not see it that way uh i mean right now as i'm on the radio broadcasting i mean people are talking about Donald Trump i mean you turn on any cable news talk show it's Donald Trump it's it's, it's not about anything else it's Donald Trump. And on my show, I try to little. I have people on the show talking about different subjects, different things. I don't, but you got some cable television shows, some talk shows, uh, radio talk shows, podcasts, and all this kind of thing around the country. And, and they're, if they're political, they're talking about Donald Trump, you know, and uh, you got some, some of these uh, right wing, alt right radio podcast shows that are out, outright racist. You know, they are outright racist. And um, this is what Donald Trump has made it the country. The country, we've always had races in America, but wow, Donald Trump has really, <laughs> Donald Trump has emboldened them. Donald Trump has brought them front and center, and they are not. They are not ashamed to say what they are, and they are not ashamed to say that their master, their lord and master, sits in the White House. It's just a shame how American, how America has fought under Republican rule. Remember how the Republicans, when they were not in power, I think it was way back in 2010, they were not in power, and they were excruciating the Democrats. And I think that one of the reasons, well, a few reasons why the Democrats lost power back in 2010, they were fighting. They couldn't get along. I remember it well. They were fighting, in fighting. They couldn't get along. They couldn't get enough FaceTime on the camera, on on the TV cameras. I mean, they were fighting. They couldn't get along. And Obama was, you know, they were saying Obama didn't know how to keep his Democrats together. And the Republicans were just, you know, screaming and yelling about how ineffective they are and Suddenly they were out of power. I mean, the Republicans came in and they swept the they swept the Democrats out of power, 
and the Democrats haven't been in power since. But now, but no, no matter what happened back in 2010 with the uh, Democrats, it, it's pathetic. It, it's awful what's going on now. And uh, we have to change it. I mean, the Democrats are, are weak, but they're nothing like the Republicans. I mean, if it was Democrats in office right now, if they was controlling, uh, I have a feeling if they were controlling both the House and the Senate right now, Donald Trump would be out of, out of the White House. He wouldn't be there. You know, I mean, he would not be there because the Democrats, in some cases, they listen to the people. The Republicans are not going to listen to you, me, or anybody. They're going to listen to each other, you know, and the parties and the party's bosses. That's who they're going to listen to. They're going to listen to... Uh, they're not going to listen to those who put them in office. They're not going to listen to the people who uh, write their paychecks, who voted for them and told them uh, and gave them their power and gave them their great health care. No, they're not going to listen to you or me. They're going to listen to Mitch McConnell. <laughs> they're going to listen to Paul Ryan, two assholes, and um, instead of listening to the American people. And I've said this before. Uh, we, the people of the United States, we have the power. We have more power than they do. And I was so proud to see people in um, Phoenix the other day. I mean, they were basically peaceful, pe peaceful. And you had a few uh, Donald Trump instigators, you know. Uh, <laughs> they were instigating as they were going into the uh, uh, stadium or whatever uh, the stadium, whatever it was in Phoenix, to hear uh, Donald Trump. It was the rally. Anyway, we are um, 300 million plus strong. We have a footprint, okay? And the Republicans know this. They know this. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me all over the place. Google me. I'm, I'm, I'm there, folks. Believe me, I'm there. Heaven help the child who never had a home. Heaven help the girl who walks the streets alone. Help the roses if the bombs begin to fall. Heaven help the black man if he struggles one more day. Heaven help the white man if he turns back away. Heaven help the man who kicks the man as he crawls.
me down before I go to sleep. In a troubled world, I pray the Lord to keep, keep hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small. Six o'clock p.m. to seven thirty p.m. in the city of Chicago. All right, bye bye everybody. Have a great evening. Bye bye.